you have a Bible, would you mind turning it on or turning it open to Genesis chapter one? We're going to be there in just a minute. Um, this morning, we're continuing our teaching series. It's been called Through Ancient Pathways. And we're talking about some of the ways that we are shaped and formed into maturity and wholeness by the Spirit of God. And today, we get to talk about the way of waiting. The way of waiting. Henry Nouwen once reflected that 98% of our lives are spent waiting. Now, that checks out on like a superficial level. If you think through your days, you're waiting for things like the snow to melt. Anyone? Come on. Right? You're waiting at checkout counters or airports or buses or stoplights or for a friend to arrive or for a meeting to start or for that church service to end. Hopefully not this one. Um, for the meal to come, a family discussion about with the flu. Um, our life is spent waiting. But there's a deeper level of waiting that we all also experience. And this is where that 98% of our life is waiting checks out. Right? We're almost all waiting for a deeper or fuller season of our lives. Right? You can probably count on one hand how many moments, if you're being real honest with yourself, which is hard to do, mind you, but you can probably count on one hand how many moments you have been like, there is no other place I want to be, and there is no other person I want to be with, and there's nothing else that I want to be doing than where I am right now. Fully present in the moment, not thinking about what is to come, not waiting for what's next. Now, the reality is from infancy on, we're always waiting for something else to happen. When we're little, it's like, when's Christmas coming again? When is my birthday? When's grandma and grandpa coming back over, right? We're, we have these longings, these things we're waiting for. Um, when I ask my three-year-old, Lennon, how old she is, she almost always answers the same way, five, right? She is not five, she's three, but the reality is, is there's this restlessness in her to want to be older than she is. She is waiting to grow up and be big. See, this is also an experience that we all have that moves from adolescence and into adulthood. We have this almost constant restlessness for what is next, what is ahead, what is on the horizon, waiting to know if we will get into that school, waiting to know if we'll get that job, waiting to know if we'll ever own a home, if we'll ever get pregnant, if we'll ever find love, if our lives will amount to anything, if that relationship will ever be healed, if that situation will ever turn around, if the truth will ever be made known, waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, maybe now is exaggerating. Maybe it's not 98%. Maybe it's like half that. It's 50% or whatever. I'm not good at math. But even if he is off a lot, the reality is, is that what I said is true. So much of us are spending time waiting. Now, as I've reflected more on the waiting in my life, one of the things that I have come to realize is the most significant and transformative experiences that I have had with God have actually been in seasons as I wait. Right? And, and it's funny, the longer you do what I do, the more you have sort of this compiled list or file of different messages you preached over the years. And I legitimately have, when you type in my little search in my library, 15 different sermons on waiting. And the reason why is because there is so much source material in the Bible about waiting. 
every single significant person in the Bible you read about experiences waiting, wrestles with God in waiting. And so today we're going to look at a few things about the season of our life called waiting. And we're gonna look at those because God specifically wants to speak to us as a community of faith about how to navigate those seasons. Now I've boiled down this message into just a few things because the reality is there's way too many things to cover in the short time we have. So here's the three things we're gonna talk about. Number one is a different perspective on waiting. Number two is what waiting does inside of you. And then number three, what we do while we wait because waiting is anything but a passive action. Now, I told you we get to Genesis 1. Um, I'm glad that you have had the time to get there. Now, we're gonna take a detour on waiting for a minute, and we're gonna talk about time. Because what actually ticks away as we're waiting is time, right? So we need to have a little bit of an understanding about time, how God sees it, works within it, and then we will get to waiting. All right, so there's a rhyme in the poetry of Genesis chapter one. We're starting in verse five, and we're going to kind of jump through this a little bit. Genesis one, verse five says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And here's the rhyme. And there was evening and there was morning the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. We skip down and it says, God saw all he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then finally on the seventh day, God rests. This is the poetic account of creation. It gives us a window into not just how God made the cosmos, but why and what he was up to. But here's one thing we learn. Time is God's invention. Time itself is a creation of the creator. Now, here on earth, we know that a day is roughly 24 hours, as it was in Genesis, evening and then the morning and a day. But we also know that time is dependent on space. So let's get a little nerdy here for a second. How long is a day on earth? Anyone? Almost 24 hours. <laughs> it's just roughly short of 24 hours most days. But anyways, it is 24 hours. But if we were to travel in a spaceship, if this was possible, Elon Musk, to get to Mars, how long would a day be? Anyone want to know? 25 hours. And if it was even possible to move to another space, let's say Jupiter, a day would be 10 hours. But let's keep going. Mercury, do you know how long a day is? 1,408 hours. And then there's Venus. 5,832 hours in a day. That's a long time. How long is a day? Well, it depends on the space that you are in. One day on Venus is 243 Earth days. Now, okay, I know we're getting a little nerdy here, but last time I spoke at our seniors' luncheon, we have this thing called Prime Timers, happens once a month. Um, this is the last time I was even invited, so maybe this says something. But <laughs> I talked about time travel, Right, and again, this is one of the reasons why I don't think I've been invited back, but it was fun, so I'm gonna do it again. And Brian, I thought of you today, Interstellar. I know you're a big fan. If you're a fan of Interstellar, get ready. Okay, so uh, months ago, I was in Orlando, Florida, and my family was here in Oregon. And it was about 12, 12.30, and I got a FaceTime call from my girls, which, you know, it's this little tiny rectangle, and I have four kids, and they're jamming themselves in the screen, all talking over each other, can't understand a word they're saying. But I had this moment, right? Like I'm in the middle of the day in Orlando and I have this little thing that is somehow taking me back in time 
multiple hours as they're getting their day started. They're having breakfast, I'm having lunch, they're coming from my past, I'm coming from their future, and somehow we're meeting in both of our presents, right? The mind-blown emoji should be going off in your head right now, right? This is time travel, which is bizarre when you think about it. But believe me on this, the Bible actually speaks to this idea. If you think I'm crazy, there's this whole debate that raged in the time of Jesus about the resurrection, Now, the resurrection is a future event that anticipates when God heals all the things that are broken in this world, and those who believe in him will be raised to life in a body imperishable. Now, there's this group of religious leaders called the Sadducees, and they were popular with Rome because they colluded with them. They were not popular with the Jewish people. The popular party was actually the Pharisees because they were thought of as sellouts. Now, conveniently, the Sadducees only used the first five books of the Bible, also known as the five books of Moses, because they picked and chose small bits of the Bible to justify their behavior. That is nothing new, by the way. And a lot of people tried to take Jesus on in debate. Now, what we're going to read here in Mark's gospel is when the Sadducees step up and they try to take on Jesus in a debate, and it has to do with time, and it has to do with waiting, and Jesus absolutely obliterates them in a debate. So they come to Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 24, and Jesus responds to them, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Now, this is a mic drop moment. These are religious leaders and anyone who would be watching would be like, ooh, (laughs) Jesus just got him, right? Because he is pointing out the hypocrisy of these religious leaders and the fact that they say they claim their entire life on the first five books of Moses and the power of God, and yet they do not know it or recognize it. Verse 25, when the dead rise, not if he affirms when, Side note, there is a future resurrection. Stay tuned for Easter Sunday. But they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Verse 26, now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses? This is another one of those moments. It's like, of course they've read in the book of Moses, right? They probably have the books of Moses memorized. And Jesus is pointing out that again, you can read the text, you can know the text, but not really know God that they reveal. So he continues, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. That line, not the God of the dead, but the living. When God speaks this to Moses in the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have actually been dead for hundreds of years. Like Jesus affirms here in this moment that this wasn't metaphor, that this is a deep-seated truth of God. Even the very name of God, Yahweh or I am, indicates that he exists outside of the created order, which includes time, and yet chooses to work within it. Now, we often think of time as this linear and inescapable line, and the reality is for us and for now, it is. But for God, he is outside of it. For God, the past and the future can be smack dab in his present. So we see this on display again in the transfiguration, which is this wild story in the gospels where Jesus reveals who he truly is, the I am himself. He's hanging out with Moses and Elijah, which by the way, have been dead for hundreds of years. And somehow this whole scene just seems normal, 
right? Like they actually know each other and they're good. they go way back. The past and the future slam together once again in the present. Psalm 90 says this in verse four, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. And skip down a few verses to verse 10. And our days may come to 70 or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now this is poetry, mind you. We all know that humans can live past 70 or 80 years, but you get the gist of this. This contrast is intended to bring our attention to how God is other than us, right? This is what we learn. God's relationship with time is different than ours, right? To him, a day is as a thousand years. To us, our span of life is maybe 70 or 80 years. And why is this important? Because it should give us perspective as we wait. Last week, I talked about the Lord's Prayer and there's the line early on, hallowed be thy name. It's our orientation of our prayer. God is holy. He is other. He is different than us. That is how we approach God in prayer. That is also the way we should approach God in our waiting. To recognize that the way he moves is outside of our confines of what we may even be able to understand or fathom. There is more happening behind the scenes than you can ever imagine. And, and get this, our prayers actually can move time and space, right? God bends reality to work into our lives. He moves the resources of heaven as we wait. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And when you allow that truth to literally seep into your soul, it changes you and it changes how you wait. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 27 can say this in verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because when your perspective shifts and God is ever wholly different than you, then you are allowed to step back and trust that he can and is and will move in your favor. God is indeed at work in the universe for our good and for the redemption of all things. And get this, as all of that is happening on this almost cosmic level, he is also simultaneously doing a work in us as we wait. So let's talk about that. What happens in us as we wait? Well, a lot of things, but we only have time to look at a few. And we're gonna look at Romans chapter five. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're gonna start kind of halfway through verse two. Um, we're gonna look at three things here from Romans five. What happens in us as we wait? First is hope, hope. Um, the apostle Paul writes Romans and you would definitely remember that if you've been with us for a while after our like 72 week series through the book of Romans. Now to Paul, Christian hope is not wishful thinking for better circumstances someday. That's especially important when we think about waiting. Christian hope is that Jesus will renew all things. And this can be guaranteed because Jesus said it and Jesus's words can be taken as trustworthy and true because of the resurrection. It validated who he is and his claims that he is God himself. And it was the beginning of the reversal 
of all things that are broken. See, this is a fancy way of saying that our hope is not that our circumstances will change now, but that they will one day and once and for all. And in the meantime, we can experience the power and the presence of God and his love in this life and forevermore. Paul says it like this in Romans 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So waiting, persevering through trials and hardships results in something in us, genuine hope. I, listen to me, I hope often for my circumstances to change. I even pray for my circumstances to change. But the truth is, is that there is a deeper hope inside of me. And it's this, that I know God's love and one day the whole world will be saturated in it. And that is the anchor that I have through any circumstance. And that is what God offers you as well. Real, true, genuine hope. See, often we can give in to despair and sadness as we wait. That is a normal human experience. Those are normal human emotions as we wait. But what we are reminded to through the scriptures is that we place our hope in God. Now, Paul in Romans also talks about this idea of character. Character is shaped inside of us. This is the second thing we're gonna talk about as we wait. And in particular, we're gonna talk about patience. Now, character isn't something that we talk about much anymore. It seems almost old-fashioned, but I think character needs a renaissance. That's all I'm gonna say about that. One particular aspect of character I wanna focus on today is patience. Now, I used to think that waiting taught you patience. I don't think that's a given anymore. I think waiting can teach you patience, if you're willing. Now, patience is the ability to accept, delay, suffering, or trouble without getting angry or upset. Also, patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit's power and presence in your life, the result of that is patience. Patience and any other Christ-like character actually flows through you from your relationship with God. You cannot white-knuckle patience into existence. Now, my parents are here today, and they know this probably better than anyone, maybe with the exception of my wife. I am not naturally a patient person. (laughs) My foot has always been on the gas. Right, my personality does not bend itself, even one iota, to patience. I am the kid who always wanted to move as fast as life through as I possibly could. I always wanted to get to the next stage. Right, I I drove as early as I could legally drive, and if there was a loophole, I would have taken it. Right, I got married very young. I started pastoring at 19. I, I I I literally started my career before college. I had four kids young. My foot has always been on the gas. And what I have learned is that Jesus doesn't always like to move at the same pace that I want him to. Anyone with me? Yeah. There are many things that have happened in my life that I wanted. And there's also many things that have not happened in my life that I have wanted. 
There have been detours and roadblocks and setbacks. And I'm not here to say that Jesus has been the culprit behind all of those roadblocks. But what I will tell you is that he has used them to teach me patience. Now, at some point, we have to realize that patience is actually the key to contentment and joy. If we're always in a rush to move out of our waiting and into the thing we are waiting for, we will never experience contentment with where we are. We will be angsty, angry, fearful, or sad. And honestly, that is just a terrible way to live. Trust me from experience. Listen, the delays and the detours that shape us inside of, that shape that character inside of us can be used for our own good. And, and again, we cannot white knuckle character into existence. It is the result of us walking in relationship with Jesus. Now, third thing I want to talk about is motives. Waiting reveals our motives. Hope, character, motives. Proverbs 16 verse 2 says this, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. In other words, we typically start with the idea that the things we are waiting for, we deserve. (laughs) That it would be right and good for us to get what we want. Remember last week when Jesus was talking about the eggs and the scorpions, right? Sometimes we think we're asking for an egg, but we're really asking in prayer for a scorpion. And God doesn't wanna give us a scorpion. He wants to give us something good and life-giving. The reality is, is that it is the process of prayer, of leaning into relationship with God, of waiting that reveals inside of us this question. Why do I really want what I'm waiting for? Right? Now, if you were to be honest and you were to ask yourself this question, why do I really want what I was waiting for? You probably wouldn't like the answer. (laughs) Because if you're anything like me, you're gonna come up with all the right answers to cover up your real motivation. Let me tell you a funny one for me. I wanna tell you about my dream car. Some people's dream car is like a Ferrari or a Tesla or maybe some vintage car or something like that. You wanna know what my dream car is? A 12 passenger all wheel drive Ford Transit van. (laughs) I know, it's funny, but it is literally my actual dream car. Now I can give you all the reasons and the justifications that make it sound like it isn't a want, but a need. I have four kids. I wanna be the dad that drives his friend, their friends around. It's a good investment because later I could flip it and turn it into a camper van. I've thought about this, right? But the reality is, is that I have two good cars and I don't actually need it. I just want it. And I really want God to want it for me too. <laughs> I know that's weird. And it's just a very simple exercise in examining your motives for the things that you want. We are so easily convinced that our motives are good and pure. A car can be a silly example, but when you begin to apply that to things like a job or a relationship, right, or, or, or you fill in the blank, it gets much more complicated. Now, Waiting cultivates hope, it shapes character, and particularly patience. And as we wait patiently, God examines and reveals and purifies your your motives. Now, I don't want this to paralyze you because I've been there, stuck in the hamster wheel of constantly overthinking every single decision that we make, 
right? Frozen in fear that I'm going to do the wrong thing for the wrong reasons or the right thing for the wrong reasons so I don't move at all, which leads me to where we will land the plane today. What do we actually do then while we wait? Well, um, like I said, there's a lot of different places we could go, but I wanna look at four friends in the Bible, summarize their stories, and maybe one point from their, um, a lesson about waiting from them. First is gonna be Abraham and Sarah. Um, Abraham and Sarah are patriarchs of our faith. God in Genesis 12 speaks to them and he has a promise for them of a hope and a future, right? He invites them into a life of trusting him, not necessarily knowing what the next steps are gonna be. And as you go through their story, there's these check-ins. God is like, I haven't forgotten you. I'm still with you. But God gives them a promise of a son And it's 25 years later that that promise comes true. What you get to see, um, really unfiltered, is the mistakes and the trials and the triumphs and the victories of their time in waiting. There's moments when they are raw and honest, praying, pleading with God to not forget them, pleading with God to intervene. And then there's these moments of failure where they try to take the promises of God into their own hands instead of waiting on the Lord. But there's this common thread in their story, and it's this, they just kept holding on. They just kept holding on to the promise of God. Paul in Romans chapter 418, he says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And you can include Sarah in that as well. See, on their journey, there were a lot of twists and turns. But what is true through the thread of their story is that in waiting against all hope, against the reality of their situation, against the reality that they were too old to bear children, against the the likelihood of this actually happening in their life, in hope they waited and they believed that God would do what he says he's going to do. And the truth is, as we step back, those of you who placed your faith in Jesus are actually a part of the line of Abraham. Through faith, you are actually a part of this amazing plan that God has unfolded, right? And so Abraham and Sarah's eyes in their waiting, their way of seeing what God wanted for them was too small. All they could see was a son. But what God could see is that he was going to use their family to usher in Messiah, use their family to open up the door by faith to people by the billions through time and space. Again, our view of how God works in our life is too small, right? When God literally says to them, your descendants will be more numerable than the sand on the shore, What the reality is, is that God was saying was true and trustworthy, but it took time for that plan to unfold. What do we do as we wait? Against all hope in hope, believe. God is and will move for your good. Hold on to hope. Second story, it's about Joseph. Joseph's story is wild. Um, really, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I don't know why, I just connect with Joseph. Um, God gives him a dream at 17 years old. And, and, and this dream is kind of wild because he's one of the youngest of his brothers. And the dream is that his brothers would one day bow to him, right? And as a punk 17-year-old kid, he's like, hey, guess what? 
I got a dream and you will all bow down to me. And guess what? His older brothers didn't like that very much. I don't think you would either, right? So they beat him up. They throw him in an empty cistern. They sell him into slavery and they lie and say he's dead. Talk about um, a dysfunctional family, right? Now, this is his crazy story. So God gives him this dream at like 17 years old and then his whole life gets derailed. Where are you, God? What have you been doing? Why are you not responding to the words that you have spoken? And, and then he goes into all of these different scenarios where he's a slave and then he gets in prison because he's falsely accused. And then in prison, there's a guy who can literally get him out of prison because he's there unjustly and the dude forgets about him, right? And so this is his story over and over and over again. He is forgotten and yet he holds on to something. He holds on to God's promise. He stays faithful. What do we do in our waiting? We stay faithful. 23 years of waiting for Joseph. And like the great reversal comes. He goes from prisoner to second in command of the most powerful nation in the world overnight. And a famine breaks out in the land and his brothers who think he is dead show up to Egypt to beg for food. And who do they beg to? Joseph, their brother. And the text literally reads, he remembered his dream. 23 years of holding on, 23 years of staying faithful to the God he pledged his life to. 23 years of waiting. What do we do when we wait? We stay faithful. It can be really easy to give in, to compromise, to think God has forgotten us. But the reason why these stories are here, guys, is for us to take strength, courage, to be reminded that it was a long time for them. And I promise you, and Joseph in those moments probably felt the weight and the pressure of it. But now we can step back and look and say, God was faithful to Joseph. He will be faithful to us. I will stay faithful to him. And last, and we're gonna end here, Paul. <laughs> Much of Paul's life was spent in the waiting room right? God literally said to Paul, you will be my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles, their kings, which includes Caesar, by the way, most powerful man in the world, and the lost sheep of Israel. Sounds like a pretty cool gig, right? His first attempt at that was an utter disaster. <laughs> and Paul disappears off the radar for like 14 years. Very little idea of what he did in that period of time. Now, later on in his story, it's one of my favorites. God um, does not give Paul direction about where he wants to go next. And he wants it. But literally he has to go on this 285 mile journey from place to place to place to place. And the doors keep shutting in his face. Wouldn't it have been nice if God had just told him, right, before his almost 300 mile journey where he needed to go? But he didn't. But Paul learns something really important as he's waiting for God to speak. And that's this. You just have to keep moving. Now, this is gonna seem counterintuitive and almost oxymoronic, but sometimes keeping moving in your waiting is actually just being still, right? So sometimes it's actually doing the next right thing and, and like Paul, just going from city to city to city to city to keep moving, but sometimes it's being still. I want you to think of a river for a moment. A river is literally something that has a current that moves fresh water. I want you to think of God as that current, God as that river. Obviously, he's more than that. This is metaphor. But 
If you were to wait on the Lord and float on your back, your eyes would only be to heaven, but you would still be moving. See, that's one of the misunderstandings we have about waiting is we think it's staying stagnant. But even if it is staying still and waiting on the Lord, he is still moving, even if you are not. Against all hope, in hope, believe, stay faithful, and just keep moving. Okay, Shelter, our worship team, wrote a song about waiting. Um, they're gonna come out and they're gonna lead us in a time of response. And the, I want these, the words of this song to sort of be um, your prayer. I want the words of the song to sort of seep into your soul. I want you to take the things you are waiting for um, and I want you to present them to God in this time. I wanna take maybe one thing that God has spoken to you through the text this morning and allow God to take it and put it deep inside of your soul. So the team is gonna lead us in a time of response and then I'll come back up and close us in prayer.
Jesus, waiting can be so hard. It can be difficult, um, but you're with us. And today we get to leave this place and this space with the reminder that you are in the waiting. May our orientation of our heart always be to lean and look for you in our times of waiting. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we end our service uh, with a benediction. And uh, if you would like to receive this prayer of blessing, would you just simply open your hands and I will pray this over you. May you be a people who trust in God, whose ways are higher than our ways. May you rest in knowing that he is working for your good, even when you can't see it. And may you be a people who wait on God to shape and form your character. And may you be a people who hold to hope, stay faithful, and just keep moving. Amen? Amen, amen.